Hey guys, I'm Jen, owner of Hello June Creative, a boutique brand and web design studio. I'm here to help you learn, up-level, and find community in your design business journey. Just remember, the only designer you need to be better than is the one you were yesterday. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better the Brand Designer podcast. It is the last episode of season eight and we're doing our traditional answering your inbox questions episode. But today it's just me. I haven't done a solo episode in so long because we had some amazing guests over the past few episodes. So it's just gonna be me and you guys hanging out today, which is kind of one of my favorite ways to podcast. So I'm gonna do my rose and my thorn. My rose for this week is that today is actually my last day in office for the rest of the year, which is seriously so crazy. I feel like the last quarter has been a total sprint to the finish line. We have launched two websites this week. We're finishing up edits on a Shopify website, and we're going to be moving into testing and launch that at the end of January. And it's just a big rose is that I'm booking for honestly, March and April at this point, which is just so crazy. Um, I experienced a little bit of a dip in new leads and inquiries and signings kind of coming through the door. I felt like I was having a lot of discovery calls, but just like not converting a lot of clients. And then of course, all of a sudden it just like picked back up and everyone started saying yes, even though I am raising my prices slightly for the new year. So that is just such a rose and just really, really fun clients. Actually, one of the clients that I just signed on was one of my very, actually, she was my very first client that was not a um, a friend or a family member um, back in 2019 when I started my company. And she is coming back because she's renaming her, her business. And she said that she's loved following along on social media all of these like five years, which is just insane. Um, and so that is just really fun. And I'm really excited to work with her again in the new year. She's so sweet. Um, she does, um, eyelash extensions professionally and skincare and stuff like that. So really, really excited to work with her again, but yeah, just a lot of roses just kind of finishing up work, going to be slowing down a lot, um, and going to visit family back in Orlando, which is going to be really fun. So that's my rose. So my thorn for this week is that I had a discovery call that was just not a very good fit for Hello June. They were looking for a retainer that included some things that I just don't really provide and the vibes were just not there on the call. So I actually posted about it in the group um, and facebook.com slash groups slash better brand designer. It's going to be a little while until you guys hear this episode. So it's probably already been snapped up, but This is just a reminder to you guys that if you have a conversation with a potential client that feels a little red flaggy to you, or it just feels like not the right fit, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it won't be the right fit for for someone else. And so um, I love kind of spreading love and sharing leads with people um, and uh, a great plug for our our group. I see people kind of passing off leads there all the time. So if you guys are kind of curious about like hopping on, you know, maybe a lead that someone else is not interested in or doesn't have the bandwidth for, then our Facebook group is a great place to go do that. So not really necessarily a thorn because I feel like I'm at the point in my business where I can be selective about the clients that I take on for which I'm so grateful because it wasn't always like that. Um, but it always is just kind of like a, just a weird feeling after you get off a call and you're like, "Mm, that just really was not the vibe for what I'm looking for in the new year. So that's my thorn. 
Okay, so we're gonna just do rapid fire with these questions. Just for anyone who is new around here, this is your first inbox questions episode. Welcome. Um, basically, our inbox questions are just questions that our listeners have submitted to us, people from the Facebook group, um, friends of the podcast, um, and I'm just gonna go through and answer as many of them as I can. Big disclaimer is that I am not the end-all be-all of the brand and web design world. In fact, there are probably many answers that I'll give here that you guys might disagree with, and that is totally fine. You guys know that the theme of this podcast is if it works for you, awesome. If it doesn't work for you, also awesome. And everyone is going to have a little bit of a different journey. So there's no wrong or right way to do anything. All right, let's get started. Lydia Van Hoven Cook asks, how do you get high profile branding clients? And this is such a popular question. You know, how do I get luxury clients? How do I get clients who are willing to pay high ticket? Um, but for high profile, you know, this is, this is a little bit different. This is someone who might have a large following or who might be kind of in the influencer space or celebrity, that type of thing. Um, and I think that the answer to attracting these type of people is the same answer that we give for you know attracting any type of ideal client is you have to start with a really robust understanding of who your person is. And the best way to do this is by talking directly to that type of person via market research. I've talked about market research in the past on here. It doesn't have to look like some big thing with like a database and spreadsheets and kind of like the big dogs in the agency world do. But I found that one of the best ways to do market research is just to reach out to people on Instagram via DMs. I choose Instagram because that's where a lot of my ideal clients hang out and market their businesses, fine artists, interior designers, etc. Um, and just like reach out to a bunch of people. Like I, I remember when I first started my business, I started reaching out um, to people asking like, hey, I really admire your work. I, you know, I'm a huge fan of the, the colorful style that you have. I'm also a creative that uses color in my work. And so I really resonate with that. So I kind of start with something really, really personal about them so that it doesn't feel like it's like a canned DM. And then I say, I am doing some market research and you definitely fall into my ideal client category. I would love to ask you two questions about your company. And then, you know, you could ask more than two questions, but I just ask like, what goes into hiring decisions when you make decisions about hiring for the creative side of your company, like photographers, videographers, people to do graphics for you, like what, what is the like top thing that you look for in that type of person? Um, and then people sometimes will get back to you, sometimes they won't. I think like maybe like 20% of people that I reached out to got back, but the people that did get back to me were extremely helpful and I got a lot of great like messaging inspiration from them. Um, the second question that I ask um, is typically like, have you ever invest invested in brand identity or web design before? Why or why not? Is that something that's kind of like on your radar for the new year? And so it's kind of like a sneaky little way to like see if someone might potentially be a lead. Um, even if they're like, no, I don't really want branding, then that's totally fine. They're still gonna think of you the next time someone asks them, hey, do you know a brand designer? They're gonna be like, oh, some actually reached out to me the other day. So I don't think it ever hurts to reach out. Um, even if people like just leave you on red and don't respond, they might have seen your username and they might remember you next time somebody asks about that. Another thing that you can do to get high profile branding clients is just to have really, really solid messaging that speaks directly to their pain points and why your services meet their needs and solve their problems. We have a bunch of podcast episodes about this this season that you can go back and listen to. Um, and yeah, just really strong positioning and Positioning for your own brand, not just visuals, it's like a good understanding of where your services fall in your market landscape com compared to your competitors, 
demonstrating that the knowledge that you have of your customers. Um, I actually, a great example of this kind of out in the wild was I had a discovery call yesterday um, of a client who was in the luxury home goods space. And she said that she wanted to work with someone who understood the industry language, the challenges that the industry has and the trends that are kind of happening in that industry. And that industry is kind of like my bread and butter. So I was able to really talk her language and, you know, use some of the like terms and, you know, little buzz phrases and stuff from the interior design industry. And I could tell that that really connected with her. So, um, if you can use that type of stuff in your marketing, then that's really going to attract those types of clients. Dom Colbert asks, how do you turn down clients and how do you fire clients? Okay. Great question. I don't think we've ever talked about this on the podcast before. Turning down clients, I literally did this the other day on a discovery call, like on the spot. And I don't typically say no to clients on a discovery call. Sometimes I'll just like decide afterwards and maybe decide not to send the proposal and like refer them to someone else. But um, on this this particular discovery call um, kind of that I was talking about in my Thorn today, um, I mentioned, hey, thank you so much for sharing the scope of what you're looking for. I don't specialize in that particular website platform. So I think someone else is going to be able to serve you at a higher level. And I think at some point I just said, Hey, let me just shoot you straight. I don't think I'm the best person for this project. I think your money is going to be best spent elsewhere. Let me help connect you with someone who's going to be able to fulfill your needs and give you the best value for your investment. So you can write that down, save that little script if you want. Um, even if the person that you're talking to it's not because of scope. It's because you don't like their vibe or they're being rude to you or something like you can say, Hey, you know what? I don't think my studio is going to be the best fit for your project. You don't need to tell them why. Um, or you can just not tell them on the call and then just say that in the email. Um, if that feels a little bit more comfortable for you. And then how to fire clients. I actually did fire a client uh, this year, um, which is so difficult and I was very nervous and anxious about it. Um, but she was actually really open and I think it was best for both of us. She was a little relieved that I kind of brought that up, which was the best case scenario. I recommend doing a call with someone. Um, and that just kind of helps diffuse any tension with that client. Like if there's been some words exchanged via email that make you feel a little bit icky or, you know, you've had a call with them in the past that like ended not so well. Like I think it's good to schedule a call a little bit in the future um, to really just kind of connect with them as a human being. If you can't or don't want to get on a phone call with them, which I understand, especially in a very sticky client situation, I would probably recommend doing this via email, um, but being very direct and um, you know explaining exactly what's going to happen. So what I said to this client was, hey, I don't think my studio is going to be the best fit for your project moving forward. It seems like we it seems like I'm not picking up what you're putting down and you're not responding as well to what we're providing to you. So I think a mutual parting of ways is going to be in both of our best interests. Um, and she was actually really open to that. We actually just, I refunded her payments that she had made on work that I had not done yet. So I got paid for all the work that I had done up until that point. Um, but then I just refunded her cause she had made some payments in advance and I just refunded those payments to her, but I kept my deposit. I kept the money that she had paid me up until that point And it was totally good. So you can send an email that has that you can see that on the phone, but that's kind of how I've approached things in the past. 
Alexis Smith asks, how do you know when to be done with a design? I can find myself overworking and tweaking designs until it's the absolute last minute to send them over for a client to review. Um, Alexis, this is a great question. I relate. I'm sure a lot of people relate to this. Um, I think in the newer years of my company, you know, years one through three, I really second guess myself a lot with design. I didn't really know when it was done. I always felt like there was more that I could be doing. I felt like the amount of time that I spent on a logo directly like related to the value that I was providing with the client, which I know now is actually the opposite. I'm able to provide more value and more profitability um, by spending less time on work. Um, but that's just kind of like the point I'm at in my career now. But, um, I think that, you know, one of the things that I always go back to when I'm struggling with a design and I think like, okay, is this done? I don't know. Is if it doesn't feel right, it's not done. Like if I am not looking at it and thinking that like, it is the greatest thing ever, then I probably shouldn't be sending it to the client and I need to step away and come back to it later, which is hard. If you're on a tight timeline, even like 15 minutes to like close it down, work on something else or like get away from your computer, even it was, which is even better than that is what I recommend. I also, another thing that I would say is that like, I would, I think there's a quote by Coco Chanel that says like, you should always take off one thing before leaving the house. Like if you have like earrings and a necklace and like a bracelet and you know, a shawl or something like just remove one item. Um, and I definitely relate to that as a very, you know, I, want, I wouldn't say minimalist designer. Colorful minimalism is kind of my thing, but um, I try to simplify my design as much as I can. If I find myself over designing or like torturing something, like I like to say, um, then I try to just kind of step back. And you know, this people can get carried away with type manipulation, and I love doing type manipulation. And I definitely know that it's something that's very popular in the industry right now. But you guys can tell when you look at a design, and you're like, mm, this designer really got carried away with manipulating this typeface. Some Sometimes just letting the typeface breathe on its own and not doing anything to it or like adding a little bit of tracking or like changing up the color. Sometimes that's enough. So remembering that you selecting that typeface was a very valuable thing to the client because clients do not know how to select fonts, um, choosing the colors, etc. You don't need to add and add and add to show your value. Sometimes the simplest solution is going to be the one that's going to be the winner. Brianna O'Reilly asks, how do you vet potential clients? And my answer to this is a strong discovery call where you ask the right questions. So my favorite questions to ask on discovery calls are, why now and why this? These are classic value-based pricing questions, although I don't use value-based pricing very much anymore in my pricing structure as I've shifted over to flat rate pricing with adjustments and add-ons based off of what the client needs. It just helps me send out proposals faster and my pricing just feels like it's at a a point that like makes sense and works. Um, this could be an entire other podcast episode about my reasons for moving away from value-based pricing. Um, but I'll leave that for season nine. Um, so these two questions, why now and why this, this actually bypasses the brain dump from the client and gets to the root of the value that they're looking for in the in, in the discovery call. So although I don't use value-based pricing anymore, it's still important for the client to kind of uncover the value on, on their own at, with you as the guide through the discovery call. This is something that I talk about extensively in my mini mind program. Um, and you know, the art of sales is going to, it's going to look different for every single client, every single industry, every single designer. Um, but I actually try to avoid the client, like 
the tell me about your business question because I actually ask that information in my inquiry form and the clients will just talk and talk and talk and talk about their business if you ask that question. What I really wanna know is like, why do you wanna work with me? Like how is working with me going to impact your business financially? Like what type of ROI are you looking for? How are you gonna know the project is a success? Like those types of questions. And so if you're getting answers like, oh, I don't know, I kinda just like wanna shop around or like, I don't know, I kinda, I just, I don't, why like why is it so expensive you're getting pricing pushback or like the client complains about their past designer like the whole time or you're just like not like they're questioning like your expertise like I had a client ask me one time in a discovery call if I had done this in college and like what my like college degree was in. Um, And I was like, oh, journalism, like I'm not formally educated in this. And he was like very turned off by that. So that was definitely like a big red flag for me because I could tell that like he didn't care necessarily as much about the value that I could provide him. And he cared about like other value levers, which is like totally fine, but I was not the designer for him. And I was just getting like bad vibes. I really think that that call, if you can do video is so important to just get a read on their body language and understand like, do they see you as unique? Like is, is your service something that they really see a lot of value in, you know? So yeah, long story short, I think a discovery call with video on, if possible, is gonna be the best bang for your buck in terms of vetting someone, in terms of personality and what value they see and if they respect you as a designer. Lindsay Morrow asks, where can I find the best stock photos? Lindsay is actually a past one-to-one, a mentorship student of mine. Hey, girl. Um, okay, so I'll just uh, list them in order of my favorite to least favorite. Um, and these are all ones that I've used in projects this year, actually. So Stocksy is actually my top favorite. It has the best quality and just I feel like the, the most unique images, but they're all like really professional. They don't look stocky, um, but they are pricey. I think they're some of the priciest photos for a good reason, and they don't have like a subscription model. You have to purchase the photos like individually. I definitely took a hit on stock photos with a project this year because I didn't outline in my contract whether or not stock photos were included, and I didn't want to hit the client with like a hidden fee because like that's totally against like just my vibe. I just don't do that to clients is like ask them to pay for things that they assume is included in the project. It's up to me to define that in the contract. So maybe that's an unpopular opinion, but, um, Stocksy is the top one. Unsplash is second tier. I really love Unsplash. They have a lot of great free photos. So if you're trying to remain budget conscious, I use Unsplash all the time just to grab like blog post images or something that's going to be less prominent. Um, I have noticed that recently they've been promoting a lot of their like paid um, content. So maybe they are shifting away from just tons and tons of free stuff. All the photos on Unsplash that I like are like premium, so you have to pay for them. But there are some really, really good ones. Um, A drawback, of course, with Unsplash is that you do see the photos um, being used often in other places online. So they're just not as unique and then we use adobe stock sometimes i believe that you can get like 10 images for like a low fee every month or something like that and i stock photos sometimes if we are like looking for something super specific the thing i like about i stock photo is that they have a huge library of photography we were doing work for an aesthetics company this past year and we needed like a video of someone doing like a laser treatment with gloves on (laughs) and that was the the search term and we just couldn't find anything on some of the other stock sites but iStock Photo really came through for us for that video. 
Jess of Olio asks, what do you do with design days and day rates? How do you price and structure your day, get feedback from clients, et cetera? And Jasmine Road also asked a similar question. She said, I'd love to hear more about how to efficiently plan VIP days ahead of time. Okay, Jess and Jasmine, here um, are all of the details of how I run and charge for my VIP days. Anyone else is listening, um, it's gonna look a little bit different for everybody, but this is kind of what I currently do. So I charge 3K for a six hour VIP day. That's my full day and 1.5K for a three hour block. Um, I'm actually not gonna be doing any full days anymore, um, at least in 2024, due to my schedule shift in the new year, which I'll talk about in season nine. But I do, um, I can do like half days and I actually have a proposal out right now for a half day for a past client who just wants some like little tiny updates to her brand. Um, And so I do require payment in full like at least two weeks in advance to book. And typically I'm booking probably about like one to two months in advance for VIP days. Whereas with larger projects, I'm booking about three months in advance. Okay, so here's some more details. I do a hard list of deliverables um, beforehand um, and in the scope. And so, so for VIP days, I know that the typical kind of industry advice is that VIP days are based on time and not deliverables. And you shouldn't ever like guarantee that you're gonna get anything. And I just, I've tried that and it just doesn't make sense for me and my studio and my clients. I like to give people a hard list of guaranteed deliverables within a VIP day. And I know that's playing with fire, but you know, I also understand like how quickly it can work. And I only take on VIP days most of the time for past clients. I don't think I've ever done a VIP day for a brand new client. Um, and I trust the person to be able to give me feedback really quickly that day. Um, so I, most of the time will get all the assets done in one day. Um, and if there, I can't remember a time when I didn't get all the assets done because I, I am conservative in my deliverables list. Um, typically there'll be like a little bit of extra time in which case I'll ask the client, Hey, is there anything else that you wanted to do? Um, and I just make sure that that client gives me assets one week in advance. This is this is the make or break. The client has to provide you their assets at least one week in advance so you can review them and ask them for any missing assets because missing assets is going to just completely sink your VIP day. If you need photos for something or you need fonts or you need someone's logo or whatever and they didn't have it in their folder or they said they gave it to you and it's not there, like that's happened to us so many times. Like we do a really intense assets check like a week in advance of VIP days to make sure we actually have everything. And then in terms of like structuring everything, I do a 30 minute kickoff call the Monday before the VIP day. And then we go over the scope and make sure all their assets are turned in. So we do like an internal asset review. We do an asset review with the client. We just make sure we have all their assets. Um, and then I do all my VIP days on Wednesdays because Wednesday is kind of like the middle of my week and then I do revisions the next day. So as I work and as there's different like milestones, like I gather fonts for something and I send that to the client or like I make, if I do like a logo in a day, like I'll make the logo and then send it to the client for review that day. Some clients like to be in Voxer, some like to be in email. There is, there are a couple of select clients that are my VIP clients that do have my personal phone number and we do text. And so that's just because they're kind of like on the run, they're busy, they're with clients, et cetera. So that works for them. Um, and I just ask that they clear their calendar. Um, you know, some of them are still out and about, which is totally fine. Um, but I ask them to be kind of doing admin work on their company so that they're able to respond to me relatively quickly and give me feedback like in the moment. And that is also key. You cannot, I don't think I can run a successful VIP day with a client that is non-responsive. It's just like not going to be a good fit. And so I tell the client before we even book the VIP day, Hey, are you 
very responsive. Will you respond to me quickly? If not, if you are the type of person that needs more time to think about things, I don't think a VIP day is going to be the right fit for you. Every single time they're like, oh yeah, I'll respond really, really fast. <laughs> Cause I'm like, this offer is really only for people who can make quick decisions. If you're not the type of person, totally fine. But I just don't think that that would work. So so I do all the work that VIP day, they turn in revisions as I go. And then of course, there's going to be some things that I complete at the end that they still need to provide revisions on. And so I give them until the next day at around like 10 a.m. to provide their final round of feedback. And then I spend maybe like an hour the next day kind of implementing. At that point, it's typically small tweaks. And then if there's any type of style guide or final files due um, to like related to the project, then I will have that be turned in about a week later to give my team time to make the style guide and do the export and that type of thing. Anastasia Bolkovets asks, what are your main sources of assets for client projects, mood boards, and stylescapes? I know that it's not advisable to use images from Pinterest due to copyright concerns. So... We use Pinterest here at Hello June. And I think the most important part of using like other people's work for inspiration is that you are clearly stating to the client, like this is inspiration. We will not be copying this. And although a mood board is kind of a deliverable, there's just no way that I'd be able to generate like my own inspiration for something. Like that would be me designing the actual brand for the mood board, which doesn't make any sense. And so if you want to use like royalty-free stuff, like from Unsplash, or if you want to go, I mean, I feel like everything has a copyright. I think where you get into hot water is if you are constantly like sharing mood boards and claiming that like you created all of the design elements in them and you know that type of thing I mean we will share mood boards and I don't really credit people on those mood boards which I don't know you guys can come for me which is fine but like it's impossible to find on Pinterest or even, I mean, I guess on Dribble, it's easy to find the like designer behind things. So you can use Dribble if you want to credit the designer on like if you're sharing the mood board or whatever. We don't share a ton of mood boards on social media. We'll do like a little fun reel here and there, but I don't know. Maybe I should be crediting people, but I am very straightforward about like, hey, this is a mood board, this is inspiration. I did not create any of this. Um, and the client like understands that. So I think as long as you're doing that, that's totally fine. Maybe people will disagree with me and that is also totally fine. But I, yeah, we just use Pinterest. It's just the easiest. It just, is, it goes really quickly and there's a lot of really fun stuff on Pinterest. I also will pin, like I'll put inspiration on my Pinterest board that I found from places not on Pinterest. Like I'll pin stuff from Drivel. I've been collecting lots of like photos from real life on my phone and I'll like put those on the Pinterest board. So we use Pinterest kind of like as a mood boarding platform, but you know, that's, that's the vibe here at HJC. So take it or leave it. <laughs> Fina McMillan asks, how do you go about hiring graphic designers and VAs to support your business? I'm tired of being a one woman show. And then Julie Lee asks, how can I scale my business from a solopreneur to a fully fledged design agency that's making bank? So you guys should both listen to season eight, episode four with Leia Gucciardi on scaling. We go into a lot more depth about hiring a team. How do you know you're ready to hire a team? What should that look like financially? A lot of great juicy info is in that episode. So we'll link that in the description of this one. Um, but I also think that designers should probably be reaching out more to interns so I've actually found that I've really loved having an intern versus a VA. Um, VAs 
can be a little hit or miss just based off of some conversations I've had with um, some industry friends. Um, sometimes you'll get a really good one. Sometimes you won't. I mean, I'm sure that the same is with an intern, but my experience with my intern is so amazing because Ali is so awesome. Um, she's actually going to be continuing with us in the new year as a subcontractor. Um, but I do like that, you know, she doesn't have like a bunch of other clients that she's serving. I found that that is just like helpful for just task completion and efficiency and stuff like that. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a VA, but um, I would look at your local college um, or, you know, just kind of see if you can go to a job fair or something. Yeah, or there's a lot of like internship fairs that they do and just like meet some students because pouring into an intern is so much fun. And um, I feel like I don't know. I just had such a great experience with Allie that I think that everyone should get an intern. Everyone should get an intern like Allie if you can. <laughs> Samantha Clark asks, how do you keep slow clients moving along in the process? Oof. Yeah, this is just a tough one. This is the bane of every designer's existence. I think early communicate early and often with them. So remind them all the time, remind them in your contract, remind them in, okay, it starts the discovery call. <laughs> Tell them about, you know, your communication on the discovery call. If you can, if you have time, put it in your contract, put it in your proposal, put it in your onboarding checklist, put it in, talk about it on your kickoff call. That's the big one is talking about the timeline and how important timely client feedback is at the very beginning of the project. So they're like, understand, because sometimes clients just, like we're not their clients. Like they're going to prioritize responding to their own clients. Um, if you're working with a service provider or like fulfilling shipments or whatever, like doing their own thing. And then like, we're typically like second tier in terms of like priority of response. Um, but in every single email I put, please respond or provide this information or these assets by X date at X time. Let me know how that sounds for you. So it doesn't feel so much like you have to do this at this time, but it's like, in order to stay on track with our timeline, I will need this by this date. Does that work for you? And I also tell people at the beginning of the project, like if you have something come up or your kid is sick or you, whatever, like it's totally okay. Just communicate that with me. What's, what's not as helpful is when I don't hear from you for a while and then I have to guess as to whether or not we need to adjust our timeline. And then it's just kind of like things bleed over into future projects and open communication is the most important thing. So I think early and often talk to your client about your expectations in terms of communication. Renee Dahl asks, what is the average investment a client makes for branding strategy? Um, so this is a great question. I don't typically do just brand strategy alone, but I do know that a lot of studios do this. Um, this is what I've seen for full service brand identity in the boutique studio space specifically. I'm not talking about agencies because they can charge like crazy amounts. Um, so what I mean by full service brand identity is like full strategy and top level brand identity package. So like every deliverable that you would put in a package is like in this top level package. I've seen it be anywhere from like $3,000 to like 20 K plus for kind of the like big guys in the boutique studio space. Um, and a studio that I know of in our space, not an agency technically, but kind of a little bit bigger than what I do. I know that they charge 25 K for branding alone. Um, so branding and strategy and they have a six month wait list <laughs> and people are like literally fighting to get spots at their studio. So if you feel bad about charging 5k for an intensive, which my brand identity intensive is 5k and it took me like a long time to like feel good about that. Um, then just think about the fact that the studio is charging 25k and they have people banging down their door for it. So that is just so inspirational to me. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get there, if I want to be working with the type of clients that want to pay 25K for branding, but I love that for them. 
Mars Caruso asks, how do you know if your original idea is actually original and not being used somewhere else? Mars, you do not know. <laughs> the answer is you just don't know. The only thing you can do is make sure it's not being used in your client's industry um, or by their competitors because then they could run into a trademark issue. And one thing I didn't know about the trademark process when I got my business name trademarked and um, I didn't get my logo trademark because I change my logo all the time but like it's only about your specific industry like you can't just trademark a logo in general like it it's only within your industry and so um if you're using really general like geometric shapes or whatever then like you might run into like a trademark issue if someone else is using that um but you can do a quick check online to see if other people in the industry are using, you know, something similar. I try not to look too in depth at like every single competitor in every single industry because I don't want to be like influenced by their design, but it's so important to have a good understanding of like what people's primary colors are and like if they're using some sort of illustration or style um, so that you don't create something accidentally that's a competitor in your client's industry is using because that's like, that's like every designer's like worst case scenario. Okay, last question. Kim Franzen asks, I'm considering revising my process to the one concept method. Is this becoming an industry standard? So I would recommend, Kim, you listen to season five, episode 14, which we'll link in the show notes. Um, this is called iterating on the one concept method. And I do think that it is industry standard for boutique studios, but I don't think it's industry standard for agencies. I found a lot of success using the one concept method. You can go back and listen to that episode to have like a more in-depth um, kind of overview of how I adjust the one concept method to actually send kind of, you know, multiple iterations and not concepts, but multiple designs to the client after I show them the initial concept. Um, but I love it. I'm obsessed with it. I know a lot of designers are obsessed with it, but I also know some designers who choose to send multiple concepts and that works for them and their clients too. So there's no wrong or right way to go about it, but those are my thoughts. Okay, thank you so much everyone for submitting an inbox question. If you guys want to submit an inbox question um, to be read at the end of our episodes in season nine or on our inbox questions episode in season nine, you can DM the podcast at Better Podcast on Instagram. Also, please take a picture of like where you're listening to this um, ad and tag us on Instagram. I love, love, love seeing those. And just a huge shout out to every single person listening right now, every single person who has ever listened to an episode, every person who has shared. I just, it is just so mind blowing to me to think about just all the people out there who I've never even met or talked to that like listen every week and people reach out to me all the time and tell me about the podcast and how they found it. And uh, I just like live for that. So let's start a conversation in the DMs. I appreciate you guys so much. You guys are the reason why I do this. Um, back in the day, Giselle and I started this podcast to help one person. That was our goal. And I really am just so proud of how everything has grown. And I know that's a testament to what our original vision was. So thank you guys. I love you all. And we're going to have a couple of really fun um, archives episodes coming up. Um, these are some of our most listened to episodes, some of our listeners' favorite episodes, some of my favorite episodes. They're going to have little intros from me kind of looking back on those episodes with little updates and my thoughts and stuff like that. So still stay tuned for the next couple of weeks until season nine hits your earbuds in January. Thank you guys so much, and I'll see you in next week's Archives episode. Bye, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening. Hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode, leave a review, join our free Facebook community, and share the pod with your designer friends so that they can join the fun. 
Give me a shout on Instagram at better podcast. If you want to submit an inbox question and visit the pod at betterbranddesigner.com to learn more and snag discounts on my favorite resources. See you next week.